Today's message, um, I'm actually going to be preaching from most of chapter 11 of Gospel of John, verses 1 through 44, but I'll be reading from verses 17 through 27. So that's uh, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can pick up a pew Bible in front of you underneath the seat and turn to page 844. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I think all of us here um, have lost loved ones. Some of us a bit ago, some of us more recently. And many of us here have been to funerals. I think I've been to more funerals than I wish I attended. And of all the funerals I've attended, one thing that I notice whenever I do attend is the difference between Christian families who are grieving and the non-Christian families who are grieving. There is sorrow and grief over the loss of both. But a key difference that I notice is that I, I see this sense of peace and comfort for the Christians because they trust in where their Christian family member is at that moment with the Lord in eternity. And in contrast, Oftentimes, I see this unconsolable grief for those non-Christians, seeing death as final, final goodbye that they would say they were not ready for. Last week, we ended with chapter 10, where Jesus said he was, he is the good shepherd. And after that, Jesus was almost, well, they tried to arrest him because of uh, the supposed claim of blasphemy, because he claimed to be one with God, and he almost got stoned to death. And he managed to retreat away to the place where John the Baptist did his preaching and baptizing in the River Jordan. 
Now, when Jesus retreated away in that place, many who heard him actually believed. And there was like a small revival that was breaking out. And this was probably about some 30 miles away from um, where the, the little town of Bethany was. There's some debates whether it's a day, like 30 miles away, or some four days journey. Um, but it was the appeal of Mary and Martha, this beloved family in um, Bethany, that called Jesus to come down. The irony of all this is that um, in his quest to bring back his dead friend from death, it led to and precipitated in the Sanhedrin eventually starting the whole scheme to capture him and eventually execute him. Today's passage um, that I read uh, comes, um, there are three points that I want to go through. The first is the bad news. Second is the good news. And the third section, ending with verse 44, is the great sign. So the bad news, the good news, and the great sign. Um, this sign, Jesus saying he is the resurrection of life, and the life is the pinnacle of all the miraculous signs in the Gospel of John. Jesus, thus far, in the Gospel, he turned water to wine. He healed an official son. He healed an invalid. He fed 5,000 plus. He walked on water. And he just healed a blind man that led him to give that teaching about the good shepherd. And, the, um, and all the other six miracles, when we compare to the miracle that we're going to see here, the sign really fades. And as Jesus continually been claiming, because he is, I am, the great I am, the very same name that God disclosed in Exodus 3, has been repeated again and again, comes to this culmination where we have the fifth great, great I am, excuse me, I am statement of um, Christ with the final miracle sign that is pointing to his divinity, that we are to believe who he is. So let's look at the first section, the bad news. So in the beginning of the chapter, we, we get the news. Mary and Martha sends the news that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. And um, this Mary and Martha, like many of you are familiar with, is the same Mary and Martha in Luke 10, where Martha is busy preparing in the kitchen, and Mary is busy listening to Jesus' teaching. And probably it's like two years since that event, and the friendship between this family and Jesus continued to grow. They knew him well. He knew them and loved them. They probably supported his ministry. And knowing what Christ has done thus far, they knew what Jesus was able to do, heal. And they were hoping that Jesus would do the very thing that they've seen Jesus do throughout his ministry. Now, when we come to verse 3, um, it says, Lord, he, this is the message that was sent, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But Jesus continues by saying this illness, now he's speaking to his disciples, that this illness does not lead to death. There's a purpose to this illness. Yes, it does lead to physical death, but it's not going to end in final death. And this miracle, this sign, 
It's meant to show the Son of God in his glory. Now, Scripture says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And when you look at verse 6 in the ESV, it says, So, that word is actually therefore. And there's a kind of sense of confusion. Well, we, we see that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. Therefore, what did he do? When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's kind of confusing, perhaps unusual. You call someone, you send an email or send a text that someone that they love is sick, you expect them to come right away. But here Jesus stays two extra days. It's not that Jesus is indifferent. He loves them. He loved them, so he waited two extra days. That waiting was purposeful because Jesus was in the business of following the Father's timetable, not people's timetable. If you consider reading through the gospel, you hear Jesus saying, it's not time yet. It's not my time. The Father hasn't set the time for right now. And here, it's not time yet for him to go. He refuses to be pulled or tugged by people. And he wants to obey the Father's time schedule. Back in those days, they had a superstition where if you died, within the first three days, your spirit could enter and leave. And upon fourth day, when the body is rotting away, then resuscitation would not be possible. So the big part of waiting two extra days is actually to point out that when Jesus does go and does resurrect, there'll be no confusion about the fact that he resurrected this man from the dead. So there's a day's journey from Bethany to Jesus, at least a day, right? Either a day or four days journey. And Jesus waits two more days. So three days have passed. And if he were to have gone on that fourth day, when Jesus returns, it says it's been four days since Lazarus had died. So there's the math. The four days is what he was shooting for so that there is no question or doubt that Jesus is God and this miracle of resurrection is for real. Jesus' timing was for Father's glory. Ultimately, it wasn't for the friends or even family as much as he loved them. And in so doing, this resurrection, more than anything else, it demonstrates Christ himself to be the resurrection and the life, God incarnate. And it also powerfully established the faith of his disciples. It's for their disciples because he was going to leave them behind soon. He wanted to, for them to be encouraged, to, to, to see his power, to see where the sign is pointing at, who he is. And he wanted some of the Jews who's going to be gathered to see this funeral, that they would believe. And also, 
that this family that he loved, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, that their faith would also be encouraged. Jesus delayed because he loved them. And delaying is something very difficult to understand when you are so desperate. God's delay, I don't know when was the last time you felt like God loving you. You feel God loving you in his delay. But God was. Jesus responded exactly the way he did in his perfect time because he loved them. You know, we, we can never fully comprehend why God does the things he does and why the timing is the way it is. We can't understand fully in this life. But the principle that scripture teaches throughout, again and again, not just in the passage we just read, is that Christ delaying, in his delay, um, his desire is to be faithful to the glory of God the Father as he encourages those who are following him. This isn't something that people want to think about, especially when we go through something difficult. But scripture reminds us that God is primarily, supremely, most interested in his glory. Glory of God is what is interested, and we've learned this in the Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the most important theme in the universe is the glory of God. It's like, why did God create the universe? Why did he do the work of creation, the work of redemption? sanctification, why does, he do, why does he do anything that he does? It's for his glory. And the miracle's primary purpose here is so that Christ and the Father will be glorified. We see in verse 4 and again way later in verse 40. When Jesus healed the blind man, remember the guy that got healed and the, the religious leaders rebuked him for doing this on a Sabbath? And Jesus pointed out, Good shepherd will not do something like that, right? Well, what was the point of the blind man and his illness? Well, the same point of the death and resurrection of Lazarus is for the glory of God. Some people say sickness or even death isn't something that God wants or God has no plan for. But we see that sometimes God clearly uses them for his glory. Jesus told his disciples that after two days, they need to go back. Because now is the perfect time. It's the time that the Father wanted. And disciples are kind of obtuse. Well, they don't get the language that Jesus uses. And they're also scared. It's like, Jesus, remember, they tried to kill you, stone to death. Why would you want to go back? And Jesus responds by giving this kind of an agricultural metaphor. For anyone who does agricultural, horticultural work, you have the day when the sun is up, and those are the only time you get to work. And the one, when the sun sets, you can't work. And Jesus is pointing out that, you know what? The night for his soul, and it's 
just around the corner because after this, it sets them up for the Passion Week because it instigates the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders to start the process actively. But right now, it's not dark time. It's not nighttime. It's still daytime. There's not a whole lot left, but it's still daytime for him to do the work that the Father has sent him to do, and he's going to obey that. And that means going to Lazarus, though there's risk involved, and doing the work of resurrecting him. Jesus wanted to obey the Father. Jesus spoke in the language of sleeping and being obtuse that they often are, the disciples think, then we don't need to go. And he had to literally spell out, well, Lazarus is actually dead. But he also says something that is kind of disturbing. He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Gladness isn't something that we usually respond with, especially to the death of a friend, loved ones. But Jesus was glad because he knew what he was going to do. He knew the power that the disciples were going to see. Jesus wasn't insensitive. He wasn't cruel. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead and demonstrate that he is the great I am, who is the resurrection and the life, which is going to feed his disciples their faith. You see, the difference between seeing another miracle of healing versus a miracle of resurrection, well, Jesus knew that they needed to see the miracle of resurrection as he was getting ready to die himself very soon. Second point, the good news, verses 17 through 27. Here now we have Jesus who came. And he found, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Back in those days, uh, when a person died, you would have their funeral right away. It's a hot climate. Things rot away quickly. And Jews don't, they didn't embalm. So they will typically um, put a white linen gown on the person. And this would usually call like the traveling dress. And they'll wrap that person lovingly with care and respect, with bandages and spices. And... Mary and Martha, as the, the older, uh, the sisters, they would lead a procession. Often men and women walk separately, and women alone would return to the burial site to begin their 30-day mourning. The first seven days of mourning was probably most intense, and you have the, the mourners who usually stays with the family to grieve with them, mourn with them. And day four... Day four was probably most intense. It's the highest point because that's when the body began to decay. And the whole kind of uh, superstition of the whole spirit coming in and out, they, they believe that when the body began to decay, that wasn't possible. So now they passed that point of the possibility of resuscita uh, resuscitation. 
and the hope is gone from a human perspective. But because now human hope is gone, when Jesus does resurrect Lazarus, anyone who has witnessed has absolute certainty that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is against all nature, and this is a true miracle. Verse 18 tells us that Bethany was near Jerusalem. It's about two, two miles, a little less than two miles off. Um, and with that, it shows that, you know, the threat of the religious leaders being nearby is, is pretty real. And there are many from the city of Jerusalem who are able to come to give respect and partake in this funeral. Um, the two sisters, again, we, the, the idea that we've seen of them, like Mary being the quiet one, um, Martha the, the bustling one, here we see that continue. And it's Martha who runs, leaves the house, and comes to see Jesus. And the question basically is a sharp question in some sense. If you had been here, basically, how come you didn't show up at the right time? How come you didn't show up on time? Martha has this kind of limitation of Jesus' power that he, he needs to be there. But if you remember a couple of chapters back in chapter 4, Jesus heals an official's child. And he didn't go. He just spoke. And when the guy went, he learned that the very moment that Jesus said those words were the moments when his child was healed. She probably knew. But in her moment, either she forgot, she's not able to believe that Jesus can heal her brother in like manner. When was the last time you asked a similar question? Where were you, Lord? How come you're late? Sometimes we think that God has failed us when he allowed our loved ones to die or when he allowed a grievous, painful event to take place. But our trials, they're given by the hands of a holy, good, loving Father. And yes, we, we don't feel that it is true. We don't feel it, but that's probably why we need to know that it is true when we hear. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We don't feel that it's true. So we need to know and be reminded again and again that it is true. Truth from God for you and me. Jesus responds when Martha responds that way, says, your brother will rise again. And she retorts by saying, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Back in those days, many of the Pharisees believed in this kind of a collective resurrection of the dead at the end times. And Martha consent, agrees with that whole idea. Yes, I know. But Jesus alone is able to respond. He, he's saying something more than that. He is able to give. The most that we can give is comfort, presence, 
words or just being with people. But Jesus alone can give what we as human beings long for. Throughout human history, whether you look at people, study religions, study people, even read books, people want to live forever. There's something inherently that's amiss about death. Because death wasn't the original creation design. And the offer Jesus gives is Lazarus will rise again. And we hear in verse 25, 26, the fifth great I am statement, the divine I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, throughout, before we, we learned that Jesus was calling himself the bread of life. He fulfilled the manna from heaven in the wilderness, leading to the Last Supper. He not only gave manna food, but he's saying he is the bread of life that would feed us, sustain us. When Jesus said he is the light of the world, he fulfilled the um, Old Testament. Uh, when the pillars of fire and clouds were used, now he's saying he is that light that's going to lead the people to the promised land. In the last two weeks, we were reminded that Jesus is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He's the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Davidic shepherd king who's to lead them, guide them the way to the promised land. Back in Ezekiel 37, you might be familiar with the Valley of Dry Bones is in the context of the exile. But Jesus, when he speaks of being the resurrection, the life, he's also fulfilling the prophecy of the resurrection that has been spoken of. When we believe in Jesus, we join his resurrection life. The life that guarantees resurrection, that union, with the one who has life in himself. You see, Martha was focused on this kind of general abstract idea of resurrection. Jesus is talking about himself. That he himself is the resurrection and the life. That he had the power to raise others from the dead. That he had the power to raise himself to life. He was the resurrection itself. Life itself. He's the one who holds the key of life and death. And thus he's able to say, I am the resurrection and the life. The very power of God unto life he is. There's a story of a person who comes to Buddha disturbed by the loss of the loved one. And in the story, Buddha basically tells this person to go around the village looking for that one person who has never lost anyone they loved. And this person goes one door after another door only to discover that every single home that they visit has been impacted by death. And the point of the story eventually leads you to accept that death is inevitable for everyone. Buddha doesn't have anything that he can offer because he doesn't have the power to. And eventually, Buddha dies. The contrast between someone like Buddha is, Buddha is real. He has no power because he's a human being. 
and any other human being in history has never claimed to anything like this, that he has power over life and death, that he is the resurrection and the life. What Jesus claims that he is the resurrection life is so, so extreme is that as C.S. Lewis in his Mere Christianity would say, you can't consider Jesus as a good teacher. That's not an option. Either he truly is insane, he thinks he's God, or he's just flat out liar, or he is the great I am, the Lord God himself. When Jesus asks Martha, do you believe, do you believe that I am, she responds by saying, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Gospel of John is sometimes considered as a gospel of belief. All the signs are given so that you may believe. All these I am statements are taught to us so that we may believe that Jesus is the great I am. Can there be a greater reason to believe in Jesus than the claim that he's making that he has a key to eternal life, abundant life, resurrection life? Once a person believes in Christ, the life of Christ is poured into her soul, and that, is etern- that life is eternal. Everyone who is in Christ experiences that eternal life, never die. Question for us I want to ask is, do you believe in this Jesus? Do you believe in this? This good news to life, biggest question about death. We come to the final section, the great sign Now, Martha has already seen Jesus and goes back and tells Mary that the Lord is here. She also comes, falls at uh, his feet, and says something very similar. If you had been here, and Jesus is deeply moved in spirit and he's troubled. He's probably troubled because he sees the pain of his friends who are suffering over the loss of their loved ones. But he's also disturbed because... Many did not believe uh, that death would not be the final word. They could only see what they saw. Jesus commands the stone to be rolled away, and he prays his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is basically saying, Father, remember, we talked about this. You heard me. You know what I'm going to do. You gave me the okay. And I'm saying this for the benefit of all the people who have come together. Remember, there are masses of people because Jerusalem is nearby. And they're hearing this prayer. They know how long it's been. And it's for their benefit to authenticate that he is one with the Father as he raises Lazarus. The very same issue that got him in trouble, that almost got him stoned to death, 
he repeats again because this is the mission. He's come to finish the mission that the Father has given him. And he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And his divine words penetrates the grave, stone, um, the, the grave clothes and brings life to this person who has been dead for four days. Lazarus' heart begins to beat again, and his petrified flesh becomes whole. He comes out, as you probably remember in your, uh, back in your children's ministry days when you were young. And Jesus tells him to unbind him and let him go. How would you respond if you had been there and saw what happened? Amazed, paralyzed by fear. But like anything that Jesus has done or taught, it splits people. It divides them. Either you believe or you don't. At this point, there's no doubt that Lazarus had been dead. It's been four days. And Jesus claims who he is in his relation with the Father. Yet there's still people who do not believe. Many actually believed. Many who came from Jerusalem and saw happened to be there to mourn for them, with them, they believed. But there were those who still didn't believe because the Father hasn't called them to himself. You see, Lazarus' resurrection was a foretaste of what's going to happen on the last day. It's kind of like a living parable because he dies again, but it points to what's going to happen to those who are in him. Lazarus' resurrection brings glory to God the Father and the Son and really reminds us how we also were dead in our trespasses but have been given new life. And we use this word monogistic to say that Lazarus didn't do anything to move from being dead to becoming alive. And neither do we play any part in our salvation when we place our trust in Jesus. It is God and Holy Spirit that breathes new life. And only after being born again can we do anything. It is by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone that we are saved. Praise God. Brothers and sisters, when we look at the resurrection of Lazarus is evident here that he is God. And if you belong to him, your faith is going to be strengthened as the disciples' faith were, as those who stood around, as they believed. But we also remember that this step leads to Jesus' direction to the cross. The Bible isn't interested in Lazarus, what he has to say. I mean, it's interesting. Out of all people, there's a part of me who say, I want to hear something from his mouth, but John doesn't care. The gospel writer only cares about what Jesus said and what Jesus did and how we are to respond to what Jesus said and what Jesus did.
about 50 years before the birth of Christ, one Roman by the name of Sulpicius Severus, he wrote a letter to the, the great Cicero, because Cicero loved, um, lost his beloved daughter. And in the letter, spoke of his sympathy, was compassionate. It was a warm and um, moving letter. And Cicero later thanks him for the sympathy that he received. But in many ways, it's really not much different than a funeral of a non-Christian. Death is final. That's it. And some hundred years later, we have another letter that's written, and this time by Apostle Paul, who's also grieving over the loss of their loved ones. And it's in the letter to 1 Thessalonians. Um, yes, he acknowledges sorrow because they're dealing with death, but he encourages them, he comforts them with resurrection. And this is what he writes. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. This is about death, okay? And to grieve like the rest of men, like those who don't know Christ about the resurrection. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Such a contrast between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Yes, as Christians, we, we grieve and we mourn, but ultimately our hope is in what Jesus said, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that his tomb, as eventually it's going to become empty, is what we are going to experience in our body when, we, um, when Jesus returns a second time. There's a lady by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata, she became paralyzed in her early years diving. Paralysis is from neck down. One of her favorite verses from Philippians 3, um, and it reads, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. She speaks about the joy of what she will look forward to, that she won't be disabled anymore. She will have this glorious body. She'll be able to run again, move again. And she also continues with this verse, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. And check it out, the next phrase, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that the circumstances that you are in right now has been ordered by God? Because in his grand sovereign wisdom, it is better for you that way. Christians have the greatest hope in the historical resurrection of Christ. Because there is a great resurrection that will follow. Jesus was raised from the dead for us. And one day, when we die, our body will be raised do you know why the early church fathers faced martyrdom like we don't see people today? It's because they were convinced of the future resurrection. They knew the empty tomb of Christ, and they knew what they were waiting for. And they knew that death wasn't the final thing. If anything, it was just the beginning 
of a transition to life everlasting with our Creator, Redeemer, and Lord. Revelations 1 reminds us that the one who is the resurrection and the life has a key to unlock the grave and the power of death. And Apostle Paul reminds us, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many who believed in Jesus. And what Jesus said and what Jesus did, as I said before, caused division between Everyone saw and heard the same thing. But there were those who, after seeing, who didn't believe, went to the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. Sadducees believed in resurrection. But nevertheless, that started the beginning of the dark night for Jesus' time. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Because that is the question that people have been asking. And the answer he gives is that he is the resurrection and the life. And to believe in Jesus, you can begin to start living this resurrection life now. We don't have to wait till we die to receive new life, new birth from Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, people have wrestle with this question of death for all of history. And many of us, we have been impacted, if not all of us have been impacted in some ways. Yet the good news is that you have given us, you have taught us that you are the resurrection and the life. And there's no human being in history who has ever claimed to such Yet you have because you are truly the Lord God. Though we are given this sign, this greatest sign that we see in the Gospel of John, that ultimately points to the greater sign of the empty tomb of Jesus. Lord, grant us the grace to believe and in believing trust so that we trust you. And when we find in our lives moments where you are taking too long and when life seems so difficult, Lord, help us take a step back. Not be so just focused on our myopic views, but to trust in what your word has taught us. And may you receive glory, even and especially when we don't feel loved, because you are working out all things for your glory, and yes, our good. Let's continue to pray at this time.